This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 362nd episode, we have a bunch of news, including a follow-up on the Sierra Ceratops that you mentioned the other day. Mm-hmm. We also, just a quick note, SVP has started this week, but since it just started and we're diving in right now, we won't be getting to any of the SVP goodness until <laughs> next week's episode. Yeah, right now we're just sleep deprived and overwhelmed, but soon there will be news to report. <laughs> and there's a lot of good stuff. There is. We also have Dinosaur of the Day, a Murasaurus, and a fun fact, which is going to dive into all of the different potential Triceratops synonyms and some of the other chasmosaurines that there's a lot of diversity. So I figured it was worth sort of going through the different dinosaurs and when they lived and where they lived. But before we get into all of that, real quick, we want to thank some of our patrons. And we have four new patrons to thank this week. Wow. I know it's been amazing. Lots of people joining to help us out with all our SVP work and to get that bonus content. So this week, we want to thank Shelby, Reed, Evelyn and Frankie, and Burnsosaurus, who are all brand new patrons at the shout out level. Burnsosaurus was an existing patron that bumped up. So mm. thank you for that. And then rounding out our shout outs, we've got Gordon Adon and Jackie Cephalosaurus, Albertosaurus, Kelly, Nicholas, Graham, and Rhinosaurus. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. Seems like we picked a good perk for SVP this year. That's Society of Vertebrate Paleontology. I'm excited to be sharing some non-dinosaur news with y'all. Well, again, thank you so much for supporting the show that it means a lot to us. And of course, it's why we can keep the show going from week to week. And if you want to join, it's not too late to get in on that bonus content. Then all you have to do is sign up at patreon.com slash inodino. Jumping into the news, i start with that Sierra Ceratops paper, which was now officially published in Cretaceous Research by Sebastian Dalmana and others. It's the same Ceratopsian that you talked about in episode 358, and everything you said was spot on to the point that when I was reviewing your notes, I was like, oh no, Sabrina already covered <laughs> this entire thing. How did I miss that? Well, there was a lot of information about it before the paper was open. They couldn't resist just sharing everything <laughs> in advance, I mm. guess. <laughs> but 
But so to recap the things that you said, which I think are maybe most germane to the paper, it was named after Sierra County in New Mexico, where it was found. And the genus name means Sierra Horn Face. And the species name is Turneri, making the full name Sierra Ceratops Turneri. And like you said, it's named Turneri after Ted Turner. The way they put it is the name, quote, honors Mr. Ted Turner, a philanthropist, the founder of the cable news network, CNN, and the landowner on whose land the holotype specimen was collected, end quote. From what I remember you telling me, he's got a lot of land. He does. <laughs> he's like one of the top landowners in the country. Very interesting dude. And he must be agreeable to work with that they decided to name this fossil after him. The holotype is now in the collections of the New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science. Like you said, it was actually discovered by people working for that museum on a couple separate trips. And in the end, they ended up with about 16% of the animal, which isn't too bad, actually, for a ceratopsian, because a lot of times it's just like a partial skull and there's no postcranial material. But in this case, there are bits and pieces of the postcrania, although there's very little talk about that because usually when you're comparing ceratopsians, you're just looking at the skulls, a lot like ankylosaurs and, you know, and hadrosaurs. <laughs> a lot of those animals end up focusing on the skulls. In their case, it's about the frills and the horns. Yep, pretty much. And then, like you said, too, it's medium sized. You said it was about 14.7 feet or four and a half meters long, which seems about right based on what the fossil looked like. And it had relatively short brow horns where they found the right post orbital horn core about 24 inches or 60 centimeters long, but it is missing the tip, so it would have been longer when it was alive. Not to mention it could have been covered in a keratin sheath, which would have made it even bigger. So maybe it wasn't that short after all. Yeah, definitely over two feet. I guess the key term there is relative. Oh, because like Triceratops had longer horns. Gotcha. So that's basically the recap of what you had already covered. I found a few more interesting things from the article. One unique-ish thing about the horns is that they're laterally compressed, meaning they're taller, meaning, you know, from like nose to back of frill dimension, than they are wide, like across the face. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty weird. Usually they're essentially circular on the bottom and then like conical, so they're not squished in either direction. Although Bravoceratops, which is about two million years younger, and from Texas, did have similar horns, as well as I think Judy Ceratops or something, which is way more distantly related. But there are a lot of other similarities between Bravoceratops and Sierra Ceratops as well. So if it was ever going to get synonymized, that would be one of the most likely ones for it to get synonymized with. However, there were some other unique features on Sierra Ceratops that aren't in Bravoceratops, mostly amounting to unique ridges on the skull. Hmm. The specific part of Sierra County that Sierra Ceratops was found in is east of Truth or Consequences, New hmm. Mexico, <laughs> in the Hall Lake Formation. Are you laughing because Truth or Consequences is a funny name for a city? Yeah, and because of the story of how that city got its name. Yeah. A TV show, basically. And I think at the time, this city in New Mexico was named Hot Springs. So hmm. Hot Springs, New Mexico became Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. <laughs> it's a unique name. It is. It's pretty funny. A lot of times it's abbreviated TOC, I guess, because people don't feel like saying the entire log name. I wonder if anyone accidentally thinks that means table of contents. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's T or C. I can't remember exactly. Mm. 
But the Hall Lake formation is pretty interesting too. So it's actually over a kilometer thick and mostly fluvial sediments, in other words, like river silt, basically. And Cirrusertops was found near the old end of that kilometer, about 23 to 43 meters from the bottom, or, you know, I guess that's about 100 feet, give or take. And about 10 meters from the bottom has been previously uranium lead dated. So we have a, you know, we're like 15 to 25, 35 meters away from that dating. We assume that it's within about a million years. So the date at that 10 meter point from the bottom of the formation is about 72 and a half to 73.9 million years ago, making Sierra Ceratops a little bit younger because it's higher in the formation. And basically the estimate would be around 72 to 73 million years old. So it's maybe on the slightly older side for a Chasmosaurian Ceratopsian because they didn't evolve until about 77 million years ago. And then obviously they continued until 66 million years ago, but there was a lot of diversity in the beginning. So it's not like one of the early ones. It's sort of in the middle in terms of the dinosaurs we have named so far. The authors did point out that Ceratopsians changed as they grew up. So it's always possible that different genera or species represent different ages of the same taxa. So Sierra Ceratops is no exception and it's possible that it just represents another existing dinosaur and it'll get synonymized in the future. Need more fossils to know for sure. Yep. Yeah, it's always hard when you just have, like, most of these are just named from one individual, and then you're just comparing individuals. You're not really comparing different taxa. So I mentioned that they found the bones and a couple of times. I think you knew about one of them. So most of the bones were found on the surface in 1997 when someone was out there and they were basically mapping the area east of a lake. They did dig down and find a couple more, fossils and that got published in 1998 as Taurosaurus. So speaking of things it could be lumped with, mm -hmm. obviously it has a lot in common with Taurosaurus, but then more bones were excavated by the same New Mexico Museum of Natural History and Science in 2014 through 2016. And then they've combined those pieces into this current paper. So it sort of got updated and there's more material on that sort of reaffirmed that there were enough differences to give a new genus name and not just put it inside an existing genus like Taurosaurus. Nice. Which Taurosaurus is also still debated, so. Could be Triceratops, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also in the Hall Lake formation, a little bit higher up, so in other words, a little more recent in time, is a Titanosaur humerus. And of course, that is referred to Alamosaurus, like basically all North American <laughs> Titanosaur fossils are. Elsewhere in the formation, there are ankylosaurids, hadrosaurids, and more ceratopsids. Because they were everywhere. They really were, and very diverse. So really, this is just another formation in New Mexico, which is quite abundant in terms of dinosaur fauna. And I think New Mexico should definitely be on the list of best states for dinosaur paleontology, if it isn't already. I mean, coelophysis, if you're a fan of Triassic stuff, New Mexico is already way up on the list. But even if you're not, if you like Cretaceous stuff, there's a lot of stuff there for you. They even have hot air balloons once a year. <laughs> well, they're, they're other parts of the year, too, probably. Yeah, and they've even got sauropods, like you said, that titanosaur humerus. And speaking of sauropods, got even more sauropod news. Are you ready for this? I am. <laughs> oh, good. There's a paper called The Earliest Evidence of Herd Living and Age Segregation Amongst Dinosaurs 
published in scientific reports by Diego Pol and others, and it's about the sauropodomorph Musaurus living in herds. So this team, they excavated more than 100 eggs and 80 skeletons ranging in embryos to adults in six different growth stages. And they've been excavating since about 2013 in southern Patagonia in the Laguna, Colorado formation. Wow, that's a lot. 80 skeletons and 100 eggs? I know. That is crazy. That's like a what, lager strata. You can learn so much from, it's kind of the opposite of Sierra Ceratops. Yeah. That, yeah, it's the opposite of a lot of dinosaurs. There are very few dinosaurs that we have even more than a dozen of. Yeah. So these eggs, they were found in clutches of 8 to 30. They were arranged in two or three layers. The nests were spaced in a way that it showed that it was a common breeding ground. And they used x-ray imaging and confirmed that the embryos inside were Musaurus. Oh, cool. So some of those 80 skeletons might have been within the eggs. No, I think those were in addition. Oh, man. At least 11 articulated juveniles were found together. So they probably died and were buried quickly at the same time, possibly from a flash flood or windblown dust. What? Paper said, yeah. Windblown dust. It makes it sound maybe more like an earth flow or like a mudslide sort of thing, but with mm, dust. Uh, maybe. It just says windblown dust. Dust storm, I guess. Like a, a sand dune forming over the top of them. <laughs> they didn't get into specifics, but maybe. Is that the age segregation since it was just juveniles found together? Yeah, you've got the nesting ground and the eggs in one spot. Then you've got these juveniles in another spot. And then you've got some other specimens together. So really quick, back to the juveniles. They did some histology and they found that they had a fast growth rate. These individuals, they were all about the same size. So it's possible they came from the same brood and died together before they were one year old. Like a wolf pack. Yeah. Except without the parents, I guess. The parents are around because they found some adults. Oh, I was thinking that wolf pack includes the parents. Oh, But this I one see. doesn't include the parents. Yeah. Well, they did find nine specimens between one-year-old and an adult together. Oh, okay. So maybe it is more like a wolf pack then. And they found the larger subadult had more than 10 lags. Most of the adults they found, though, were alone or in pairs in the area. Interesting. So the juveniles were off on their own mm -hmm. group, but... And then the adults were kind of off alone or together in small groups. <laughs> Smaller groups, I guess. Yeah. So they're talking about this age segregation that may show social structure in the herd. It's more based on the size, which corresponds to the age. So maybe Musaurus lived in a community. You know, they've got the common nesting ground, like I said, the juveniles together, and then the adults foraging for food for the herd, which is why they're kind of off by themselves. And what the author said is that it's possible that this social behavior helped sauropodomorphs succeed evolutionarily. They survived the Triassic extinction and then thrived in the early Jurassic. There's other early dinosaurs that are also thought to live in herds like Massospondylus and Lufungosaurus. Mm-hmm. Those early sauropodomorphs had their strength in numbers going. And in their roles in the herd. So that was interesting. You mentioned that maybe the adults were collecting food or foraging for food. Can mm -hmm. As an herbivore, that seems weird. <laughs> an herbivore without hands. <laughs> I saw Littlefoot's mom do it. <laughs> like one mouthful at a time. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a, a very tedious way to forage for food. True. I guess they could keep it in a crop, maybe. maybe. Compact it down and spit it back up for the babies. <laughs> maybe. 
or just find the food and then direct the individual, the little ones where to go. Right. They have scoped out that it's safe. Mm -hmm. Now, it's possible that based on different sauropodomorphs having social behavior, that this social behavior may have begun in the Triassic. Musaurus is in the early Jurassic, which is another thing this paper said. We used to think that Musaurus was from the Triassic, Mm -hmm. but based on new dating of the sediments in this paper, they found deposits from ash from a volcanic eruption, and they were able to identify and calculate the mineral grains in the ash samples, and they said this dinosaur lived in the early Jurassic, not the Triassic. Interesting. Although, like you said, it could have also spanned, I mean, you were, I think, talking about sauropodomorphs in general, spanning that boundary, but there had to be one yep. genus that actually spanned it. You know, <laughs> some some animal had to be the one that was alive on both ends. But I think all Musaurus fossils have been found from roughly the same area. Oh, gotcha. So we think they're all from the early Jurassic now. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I always think of that as, again, yeah, one of those late, latest Triassic kind of dinosaurs. Now, this means that there's evidence that dinosaurs were in herds much earlier than thought. Actually, 193 million years ago, which is 40 million years earlier than previously thought. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so this is 193 million years ago. Yeah, that's that's like 7 million years after that Triassic-Jurassic boundary. So that's a pretty long time for a genus to be around. So I think you're right that yeah. this one wasn't in the Triassic, most likely. But it might mean that her behavior started in the Triassic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If that was their differentiator mm-hmm. <laughs> that made them so successful. And then just for our listeners, if you want to catch up, we do talk more about Musaurus as the dinosaur of the day in episode 220. And in episode 310, we talk about how Musaurus starts off as quadrupedal and switches to bipedal when it gets bigger. Oh, yeah. I think that was the last SVP. That was about 50 episodes ago, so yeah, should be. <laughs> and now we can add to it herd behavior and lived in the early Jurassic. Yeah. This episode's brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In other news, paleontologists have found a relatively complete baby dinosaur in China's Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region. It was found during a survey that they started last month. There's no details yet on the type of dinosaur, but during this survey, they have found 10 fossil sites from the Cretaceous and Late Jurassic, and that includes fossils of ankylosaurs, iguanodonts, and turtles. So hopefully we'll get more information soon. Interesting. I was expecting there to be at least one ceratopsian in the mix because there's so (laughs) many ceratopsians around, like the little ceratopsians. Right. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was what the new one was. Although if it's from the Cretaceous and Late Jurassic, that's probably the early Cretaceous, I would guess. That might be too early. Mm. But they have ankylosaurs and iguanodonts. Those are a little later. Yeah. Guess we got to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs are often surprising. Going back to Ceratopsia news, recently Big John the Triceratops went up for auction in Paris. It sold for $7.74 million U.S. dollars, 6.65 million euros. It was estimated to sell for 1.2 to 1.5 million euros, so it went for much more. Way more, yeah. A private, anonymous U.S. collector bought Big John, and Big John was found in South Dakota. It was named for the owner of the land where the fossils were found. The skull was found in 2014, and then 60% of the skeleton was found by 2015. They have more than 200 pieces. Big John was prepared in Italy. There's a lesion on the skull, possibly from another triceratops that struck it. And now, being a dinosaur that went for auction, of course, there's a lot of controversy around the sale. You know, things, discussions about who should buy fossils, whether museums should put private fossils on display, things like that. Some paleontologists pointed out that fossils are getting more expensive and museums don't always have the funding to buy them. Yeah, six and a half million dollars or seven, more than seven and a half million dollars is a lot more than, you know, several annual budgets for most of these museums. I did, though, see a kind of counterpoint to the argument is that with CT and 3D scans and samples from the site, that could mean that having the actual fossils are less important now. But on the other hand, the original fossil could be good for future research because, you know, as technology develops, think of the things we could do, but you might need the original. That requires actually having CT scans and 3D scans of the original site, which I don't know if that's available to scientists on this. I don't know about Big John in particular, but I think these arguments are for in general. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I tend to see it the way you were alluding to there, where it's like the original fossil should probably be in a collection, and then you can have a 3D printed replica based on these CT scans for your private collection. That would be the way I would prefer it. Yeah. And uh, we were just hearing at SVP talk around things like this nature where it's like, well, we should look at fossils as, you know, data that we all want to share in and be able to have access to. So, yeah, it's, it's useful to society to learn things from these animals. And that one was a particularly good find. You know, there's one thing if you're collecting like dinosaur teeth and the shark, you know, they just shed teeth like crazy. So there can be thousands of them in museum collections and that might be enough to get most of the data that they want to get out of them. And in private collections, 
we're not losing a lot of data in that case. But this is like, I think it was the most complete Triceratops, or at least one of the most complete Triceratops ever found. 60%. But there was on Twitter a post of the dig site map that showed that Big John actually wasn't that great of a specimen. Hmm. And it was hyped up a little bit. But that's the thing. So like things that appear not that great usually means that they're not that great in terms of like appearance when it's mounted for the public to see. It doesn't mean there isn't a ton of value for scientific research. Mm -hmm. If you say do histology on a bone or you look at comparisons to other ceratopsians and things like that. And I think that is what the point of the Twitter thread was, was to kind of show, what, well, maybe it wasn't the best investment for an individual collector. Yeah. One good thing, though, with Big John, there's a lot of Triceratops specimens, so we're not totally losing out on Triceratops because they're out there. Yeah. The sale and collection also followed all the rules. So I think that's why these discussions are more about what are the rules. Maybe they should be given consideration, time to reconsider some things. I think the best, the the main silver lining I see when dinosaur fossils get sold and there's like a bunch of media attention around them is that it gets people maybe more interested in science because dinosaurs can be a good gateway to science. And so when you're talking about dinosaurs, if there's a big sale and it's like there's a lot of interest in it, that can be a good thing. But I, I really hate it when a really scientifically valuable specimen isn't available to scientists right so we're just losing all that information it's a big bummer yeah and it's possible that not with big john specifically but you know with other collections out there that there's some unknown or new species in someone's collections or new information about an already known species and we just don't know because scientists don't have access yeah and in some cases even if they do end up getting the fossil in the future we don't know where it was dug up or we don't have enough data collected on exactly where the bones were and then it becomes less valuable scientifically because it has spent a bunch of time out you know right without the proper data collected there's also the possibility that a scientist can study this fossil and then it goes into a private collection but it turns out a mistake was made in the analysis and you'll need the original fossil to go and correct it do you mean if you're studying a ct scanned replica so I'm saying it's still important to be able to have access to the original fossils, even if there are scans and 3D prints, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier. Yeah, well, you can't really study. I mean, a, a 3D scan or whatever is useful if you're just worried about the shape of the outside of the fossil. But if you're trying to study the chemistry, if you're trying to look at anything like histologically inside the bone or anything of that nature, you, you know, a scan is completely useless. So there's some scientists that think that private owners should leave their collections to museums after they pass on, but no one can really agree on at the moment, you know, what's the right thing to do. But there are a lot of discussions. They always happen whenever there's a big sale, which seem to be happening frequently again. Yeah, which, yeah, a lot. I think some of the museums and researchers are a little nervous about because, you know, they need these specimens in order to do their research. And if they're all getting bought up by private collectors, it makes their job a lot harder. Yeah. So I imagine that we'll have more discussions over time and then yeah, maybe we'll see some things change in the future. Who knows? Now we've got a bunch of museum news. So the Natural History Museum Vienna, you can see a newly restored platysaurus. The skeleton was found in Switzerland and given to the museum on permanent loan. It took 15,000 hours to prepare and it's 61% complete. The rest has been 3D printed. 
There's 310 bones in total. Uh, what does a permanent loan mean? I think it means they gave it to them. <laughs> but it's still called a loan? That's really weird. But they weird. technically own it? Yeah, I don't know the details. This platiosaurus, it might have gotten stuck in the mud because the lower parts of the body are better preserved than the upper parts. Hmm. And its head may have been taken by small predators. Oh, so it's missing the skull. Well, it's, they 3D printed one. Gotcha. So of the 310 bones, none of them are in the head, it sounds like. They found one broken tooth that was 17 millimeters long. Okay. That's something. Yeah. This specimen was about 20 years old when it died, weighed one and a half tons, and it was about 19 feet or 5.8 meters long. It's 210 million years old, and it's part of the exhibit Cynosaurs, which is open from now until April 18th. And that's about dinosaurs in film, and they have skeletons and life-size models. They mention Gertie, Land mm. Before Time, King Kong, Jurassic Park, Journey of the Beginning of Time, and the Flintstones. Interesting. Yeah. Gertie is probably my favorite out of those. I love Gertie. It's a toss-up between Gertie and Land Before Time for me. My favorite part of the Gertie, the original, what is that, 1910 or something animation? I think 1914. Okay. <laughs> this is when Gertie eats an entire tree. Was it Roots first? Is that how it did No, it? Roots last, I thought. Oh, I can't remember. It just, but it like swallows the entire tree trunk like it's swallowing a sword, basically. <laughs> just wonderful. Gertie's great. Yeah. Look up Gertie if you haven't seen it. It's public domain. The copyright has run out on it. So you can just go to Wikipedia and type in Gertie and you'll see it. I'll post it in our Discord too. <laughs> just in case anybody hasn't seen the beauty that is Gertie. So after the Cynosaurus exhibit goes away, the Platiosaurus will still be permanently on display in the Dinosaur Hall in Vienna. Nice. Part of that permanent loan. That's one museum. When we were in Vienna, we were there on like a Monday. So the museum was closed and we missed it. It was yeah. a big bummer. And we were only in Vienna for a day. Yeah. We got to go back, I guess. Mm -hmm. In Utah, in the U.S., the Moab Museum has a new Apatosaurus femur on display. And according to Sauropod Vertebra Picture of the Week, if you visit, you can touch the actual fossil, which sounds pretty cool. I like when you can touch the fossils. Yeah, a lot of times at smaller museums, some of the bigger museums you do, you can touch like a tiny little area, mm -hmm. put it behind plexiglass with like a little hole. <laughs> and then not too long after people start touching it, it changes color. From all the oil in our skin, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Science Museum of Minnesota has a new exhibit too called Ultimate Dinosaurs. That's going on from now until April 10th, and it displays dinosaurs found in the Southern Hemisphere in the past 20 years. That includes Giganotosaurus, Amargosaurus, Suchomimus, Rapetosaurus. And also starting Thanksgiving weekend and running for four weeks, the museum's going to have these dino nights on Fridays and Saturdays. And that's going to include shadow puppets and a scavenger hunt and a costume contest. Nice. Yeah, lots of events going on. So if you're feeling stuck indoors in the winter in Minnesota, you can go to the museum, mm -hmm. see some dinosaurs, do some dinosaur stuff. It's always a good option. In Rapid City, South Dakota, the Journey Museum and Learning Center has a new T-Rex on display called Tinker. Actually, their T-Rex is a replica of Tinker. And Tinker is a teenage T-Rex found in 1998 in Harding County, South Dakota. Tinker was about two-thirds of an adult size and weighed about a quarter of an adult T-Rex. And Tinker was found with an adult T-Rex and a hadrosaur, which they think eh, maybe the hadrosaur was the prey. 
The skeleton for Tinker is about 50% complete, and the display shows Tinker chasing an Allosaurus that Allosaurus had been given to the museum in 2013. <laughs> yeah, T-Rex chasing an Allosaurus. That's pretty weird considering how far apart were they in time? Very far apart. <laughs> 50 to 100 million years, somewhere yeah. in that range. <laughs> you work with what you got. <laughs> I guess it's like 90, right? Morrison versus Hell Creek. Yeah. Might as well just have it chasing a human at that point. Now, if you've got the Allosaurus all ready to go. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you can also see a replica of Tinker at the Discovery Center of Idaho. So a couple places you can see this T-Rex. All right, we got two more non-museum dinosaur news items. So the first one in Cedar Creek, Texas in the U.S., there were three statues, a D-Long, Minmi, and Dimetrodon stolen from Dinosaur Park. The statues were between 6 and 10 feet long, so the park asked for information, and they offered a $1,000 reward for any information on where their statues might be. And they got help. I think it was just a day later, they posted an update that they'd found their statues, and someone had seen them at a fraternity at a party at the University of Texas, Austin. So unfortunately, the D-Long is destroyed, and the Dimetrodon needs repairs, but the Minmi is okay. It's mm. not clear yet if anyone's going to be charged for theft or anything like that. Well, hopefully that fraternity just pays for the replacements. Yeah. Willingly or unwillingly. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you should have to do when you steal people's things and break it. Yeah. But I'm glad they found it so quickly. Yeah. Now, our last item is that there are more dinosaur NFTs available, which are, you know, digital objects. In this case, art with a certificate of authenticity. They are pretty interesting, those NFTs. Mm-hmm. So Jack Horner worked with paleoartist Fabio Pastori, and they made 100 NFTs with 10 different dinosaur artwork in 10 series. And it's called Jack Horner's Dinosaurs, The Origin Collection. And the proceeds are going to support paleontology research. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. I looked at the collection. It's really pretty. There's a lot of bright colors. The dinosaurs include Stegosaurus, Myasaurus. I would be surprised if there wasn't a Myasaurus. <laughs> Troodon, Tyrannosaurus, Pachycephalosaurus, Allosaurus, Ankylosaurus, Triceratops. Lots of variety there. Very cool. It's funny that it's called the Origin Collection. And I think all of those are Cretaceous or Late Jurassic. It's Jack Horner's first collection. <laughs> oh, I see. Maybe he'll make more NFTs with different dinosaurs. It's Jack Horner's origin of his NFT project collection. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Not the origin of dinosaurs. I know some NFTs sell for ridiculous amounts of money. And if they sell for enough, maybe they can actually start buying some of these crazy expensive fossils. Oh, yeah. There's a creative solution. Mm-hmm. And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Amurosaurus, which was a request from Fuzzy Pickles 03 via our Patreon and Discord. So thanks. It was a Lambiosaurian hadrosaur that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Russia in the Uder Chukan formation. Now it looked similar to Carithosaurus. It's got a bulky build, duck bill, strong legs. It mostly walked on two legs, so it was a facultative biped. Like it could walk on four legs when necessary. Amurosaurus was estimated to be about 20 feet or 6 meters long. Gregory Paul estimated that it was 26 feet or 8 meters long and weighed 6,600 pounds or 3,000 kilograms. It probably had a hollow crest on its head, but the crest hasn't been found. It was herbivorous and had a dental battery. Its maxillary teeth were, according to the paper, quote, 
narrow, diamond-shaped, perfectly straight, and symmetrical. It also had a massive coracoid, which is part of the shoulder, a robust ulna, part of the forearm, a gracile radius, which is the other part of the forearm, and a robust femur. So mostly robust, except for that radius, which is inexplicably gracile. Yeah. (laughs) I guess that could be partly why we think it was bipedal a lot of the time, if its arm wasn't super bulky for supporting weight. It also had elongated pencil-shaped metacarpals, which in, in the hands, and robust metatarsals in the feet. The type and only species is Amorosaurus riabinini. It was described in 1991 by Yuri Bolotsky and Sergei Kurzanov. The genus name means Amor lizard, and it comes from the Amor River near where Amorosaurus was found. It's called the Heilongjiang or Black Dragon River in Mandarin, and this river is the border of Russia and China. I never knew that. That's a fun fact in and of itself. Bonus facts here. (laughs) And the species name is in honor of paleontologist Anatoly Ryabinin. We've talked about him. He was super important. Mm -hmm. Now, all the fossils of Amorosaurus were found in one bone bed that was discovered in 1984. A brief history of the area. In 1902, Colonel Monikin collected the first dinosaur bones. These are isolated bones from... Cossack fishermen near the Amur River on the Chinese side of the river. In the summers of 1916 and 1917, the Geological Committee of Russia excavated the area, and in 1925 and 1930, Ryabinin said that the hadrosaur bones were abundant in the area, and he named two, Trachodon amorense and Sorolophus christophovicae, which are now both considered to be nomenodubia because they're too fragmentary and they don't have really any unique features. In 1957, Roj Desvensky first mentioned dinosaur fossils from the Russian part of the Amur region. In 1984, Yuri Bolotsky and the Amur Complex Integrated Research Institute of the Far Eastern Branch of the Russian Academy of Sciences <laughs> found a large bone bed in the area, which brings us to Amurosaurus. As of 1991, only 200 square meters had been excavated but they found several hundred bones, mostly from Lambiosaurines, and 90% of those belong to Amorosaurus. They're mostly juveniles. Awesome. I would say 200 square meters is a lot of area. Yeah, but I got the feeling that this was a large area. Like there's even more to be found if they keep going? Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds awesome. So the rest of the bones found so far are Hadrosaurines, like Kerbersaurus. They also found turtle fragments and theropod teeth and Many tooth marks on the bones from predators or scavengers. Oh, wow. So in 1991, Bolotsky and Kurzanov described some of the Lambiosaurine fossils as Amorosaurus riabinini. And they said more than 90% of the bones found are from Lambiosaurines, but, quote, these skeletons are complete, disarticulated, and mixed, end quote. Complete, disarticulated, and mixed. I assume those are different individuals like some of them are complete some of them are disarticulated oh but then mixed no these are i think they meant the group because so it's based on the skeletons being mixed up and the way that the long bones were oriented the bones were probably deposited in a river or floodplain kind of environment but because the bones are so well preserved including fragile skull pieces they probably weren't transported over a long distance interesting okay so there, there's like a complete skeleton, 
but it's jumbled up with a bunch of other complete skeletons. Yeah. Interesting. And the random way that the bones were oriented may mean that they were suddenly stopped in being transported before fossilizing. Hmm. That does make it really tricky to do any sorts of comparisons between individuals when they're all mixed up like that. Yeah. Like, it, I guess it gives you a really good sample for the species and the gen- and the genus in this case, mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, well, we, it's not just one individual. We can compare like these 10 femur or femora and say, okay, on average, this is the femora and you could pick the best one for your holotype or something like that. But you can't get a lot of details about any of the individuals, it seems like. Yeah, they kind of got an idea of the sizes roughly of individuals but oh true yeah because if they're all different sizes then you might be able to match it decently well yeah you're right though it gets tricky because only the holotype skull pieces and some vertebrae are known for sure to be from the same individual okay so that's how it became the holotype yeah like they picked the skull that looks like it's kind of articulated with a few vertebrae and they're like okay yeah that's that's the biggest best chunk we can know is from one individual so that'll be our holotype so that holotype is the left maxilla, the upper jawbone, and dentary, the lower jawbone. Hmm. And the holotype skull has sutures. Okay, so probably an adult, or at least more likely. Mm, maybe. <laughs> but again, so many bones were found in the bone beds that they could construct most of the skull and skeleton, which is why we have a pretty good idea of what a morosaurus looked like. There are a lot of unique features in the skull and the shape of the lower arm bone, the ulna, which was that robust part. There also were bones on the roof of the skull that seemed to support a crest. So even though a crest hasn't been found, it seemed like there should have been something there. In 2004, Pascal Godefroy and others re-described Amorosaurus, and they said that based on Lambiosaurini, like Lambiosaurus, Carithosaurus, Nipponosaurus, and Parasaurolophini, like Parasaurolophus and Charonosaurus, which are dinosaurs that are found in North America and Asia, it seems that there was a lot of migration between Asia and North America, but it's not always clear which way they went, if they went east to west or west to east. But all known basal lambiosaurines are from Asia, so it seems that lambiosaurines originated in Asia. In 2011, Pascal Goldfried and others wrote about recent advances on the study of hadrosaur dinosaurs in Heilongjian, and they found that less than 2% of the bones excavated from the Amorosaurus bone bed had potential tooth marks, so scavenging there was either limited or there was so much food for the scavengers that they didn't have to scrape at the bones. Scavenger satiation. Mm-hmm. They could be picky. <laughs> yeah. Now, based on the size and frequency of femurs, tibiae, humeri, and dentaries, there are mostly late juveniles and subadult Amorosaurus. It's possible that younger Amorosaurus lived separated from the adults and then rejoined the herd when they were more grown. So most of these individuals found were small to medium size, but some isolated bones suggest that Amorosaurus could get large, maybe even larger than Shantungasaurus giganteus, which was up to 48 feet or 14.7 meters long. Yeah, that's the craziest one. Mm-hmm. Edmontosaurus is getting up there too. Yeah, but if there were more dinosaurs that got that large, yeah. That'd be cool. So Amorosaurus lived in savanna-like valleys with oasis vegetation along the banks of lakes and rivers in a warm and relatively arid climate. You can see an AR view of Amorosaurus with Google's Arts and Cultures Meet an Ancient Animal feature if you want to get a better idea of how it might have looked. 
Cool. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And for our fun fact, I'm going to talk about some of the closest relatives of Triceratops, which essentially means chasmosaurines from the late Campanian and Maastrichtian in Laramidia, Mm. which sounds very specific, but there are a lot of individuals in that group. And that's only the last 10 million years, actually more like 9 million years of the Cretaceous. Ceratopsians really thrived. They did, especially in that time period. So Laramidia, as a quick reminder, is Western North America. It includes a strip of land from Alaska down through Western Mexico, although it doesn't go all the way to the Western coast of present North America because a lot of that was underwater, like most of California and Baja California. So earlier we talked about the new ceratopsian from New Mexico, Sierra Ceratops, which was a late Cretaceous ceratopsid. And then last week, You mentioned Pops the Triceratops in Colorado and how it might be a new species. Mm -hmm. And that was partly because it's about one or two million years older than I think the oldest known Triceratops. And that could also make Pops an Eotriceratops, by the way, because Eotriceratops is basically just like pretty much a Triceratops, but older. (laughs) There's like a couple maybe minor details. That seems to be the thinking. It's either Eotriceratops or something new. Yeah. And Sierra Ceratops also is not the first Triceratops like Ceratopsian from New Mexico either. Just to name one, Ojo Ceratops was named back in 2010. And Ojo Ceratops is considered to be very similar to Triceratops, but with sort of a flatter top to its frill. Sometimes it's described as squared off. Hmm. Some people also consider Ojo Ceratops to be a synonym of Triceratops. And just to set the stage a little bit, because most of us know the Hell Creek was a lot warmer and wetter than it is now being near because the eastern end of Laramidia and the western side for that matter were ocean sort of a long strip of land so New Mexico was pretty close to the western interior seaway just like Montana was so it was a lot wetter than current New Mexico and it was also maybe not warmer but definitely way more humid so there were a lot of plants at the time And we know that because we found fossilized palm leaves as well as fossilized entire tree stumps (laughs) in that Cretaceous rock. So, yes, there were a lot of large trees going on at the time, which maybe would help with the diversity. You need a lot of plants around if you're going to have a lot of plant eaters. According to the authors, Sierra Ceratops is at least the 14th named chasmosaurine from about the last 9 million years of the Mesozoic. Hmm, that's a lot. Or as they put it, the latest Campanian and basically all of the Maastrichtian. Yeah, it is a crazy number. That's more than one per million years, which doesn't sound like a lot for today, 
But in paleontology terms, a lot of times we'll go 40 million years without seeing anything from a group. And here you're seeing just tons within 10 million years. So yeah, basically I'm going to go from oldest to newest starting at 75 million years ago. And there are a couple more if I went back a couple million years before that. But then it, it it's like there are so many and this is already including 14. So I don't want to make this list insane. So I'm just going to stick with the list that they gave me. So at about 75 million years ago, we got Titanoceratops, which was in the lower Kirtland or upper Fruitland formation. We don't actually know which formation it's from because the quarry wasn't documented, but we know it was in New Mexico and we know roughly where it is. And that's why we know it's roughly 75 million years old. It's a massive skull. That's why it's the Titanoceratops. And they reconstructed the skull alone at 2.65 meters or 8.7 feet long which is a crazy huge skull, obviously. It wasn't complete, so they had to fill in the middle parts. They got the top and they got most of the front, but it's enormous. However, it might just be a huge pentaceratops because it looks a lot like pentaceratops. The main distinguishing feature is it's way bigger, hmm. especially when you add to that the fact that we don't know exactly when it's from. Some people don't like to use this genus at all because it's like, what are you going to do with this? You don't know when it's from. You got a partial skull. It looks a lot like pentaceratops. Yeah. It doesn't always get included in lists. Then in the 73 to 75 million years ago time frame, we've got Navajoceratops, Terminocavus, and Pentaceratops. Those are all from the Kirtland Formation of New Mexico, mostly. <laughs> Some of them are like Texas and I think up in Colorado, maybe. Navajoceratops and Terminocavus have little teardrop dips in the top of their frills. So there's not really anyone, I, I don't think, that's considering synonymizing these because that's a pretty unique feature. Although Navajo Ceratops has a larger teardrop. It's actually not even so much a teardrop as like a dip in the center of the frill. And then Pentaceratops is also from the Kirtland Formation. It doesn't have any sort of teardrop shape. It just has like maybe a slight dip, like recession, you know, like sloping down a little bit in the middle and then it rises back up, maybe heart-shaped in a way. And I think after Triceratops, Pentaceratops is probably the most popular one on this list. I definitely knew about Pentaceratops as a kid. I think mostly because it's like Triceratops means three corns and Pentaceratops means five horns. So Pentaceratops must be two better than <laughs> Triceratops because it's got two more horns. Triceratops is like a baby compared to Pentaceratops. Yeah. But I didn't realize, I just now learned, I don't know how I missed this this whole time, but the fourth and fifth horns of the five-horned face that it's named after are actually below and behind the eye. They're those like jugal horns, basically. Mm -hmm. I never realized that's what it was. I just thought like, I don't know what I thought, why, where the penta came from. I D figured maybe- It didn't matter as long as you knew there's five. Yeah. I was thinking maybe it was, it's got like kind of bigger epiosifications, like the big decorative triangle spike things around the edge of the frill. I thought maybe two of those counted. I don't know. But if anything gets synonymized in that group with Navajoceratops, Terminocavus, Titanoceratops. Penaceratops is definitely the name that's sticking around because it was named a long time ago by Osborne in 1923. So this is one of the first ones found in the area. Then on the other end of that 73 to 75 million year time range, we've got 73 million years ago, which is the approximate age of Coahuilaceratops, which was found in the Cerro del Pueblo formation, which is in Coahuila, Mexico. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. And again, that one's fairly similar to Pentaceratops in a lot of ways. So that's sort of one subset that could get synonymized. 
if anything, is going to get synonymized. Then 72 to 73 million years ago, we've got Sierra Ceratops, Hall Lake Formation, New Mexico, like we were just talking about. And again, its unique feature is mostly that its horns are laterally compressed, being taller than they are wide. But otherwise, it's quite similar to Coahuila Ceratops. And even though there's the Cerro del Pueblo Formation and the Hall Lake Formation, this is also a lot like the formations you get in Montana versus Canada. It might just be the same formation. It just goes by different names because it's in different countries with different people looking at it. So they could be at the exact same time or they could be a couple million years apart. We need better dating to precisely get that detail. Then about 71 to 72 million years ago, we've got Anchiceratops, which is from the Horseshoe Canyon Formation in Alberta, Canada. This is our first northern chasmosaurian on the list. It's known for its ornamented frill with a couple of epiossifications sticking sort of more forward from the top center of the frill. So that place where Terminocavus and Navajo Ceratops have that dip, like that little teardrop in the middle of the top of the frill. This one has just two epiossifications sort of sticking straight forward and to the side, almost like if you sealed that little teardrop shape, but you put epiossifications on the inside of it before you sealed it so that it's, they're like sticking out from where there used to be a gap. That's what it looks like to me, at least. So that one's a pretty cool one. And that one's been found in lots of places. It's pretty well represented, actually, as far as ceratopsians goes. Then a million years younger than that, we've got a rhinoceratops at 70 to 71 million years ago. Also Horseshoe Canyon Formation, Alberta, Canada. And in your Dinosaur of the Day in episode 355, you mentioned it sometimes gets lumped with Taurosaurus, which I found really interesting since Taurosaurus is quite a bit younger than it. But it's also the one that lost Dino Idol to an Ankylosaur. <laughs> These are the most important details I know about it. <laughs> it's important. Yeah. Then 70 million years ago, we've got Bravo Ceratops, which is from the, I think, Javelina Formation in Texas. Maybe they pronounce it Javelina. I don't know. But it had been called a Nomen Dubium in 2020 by the Fowlers. So I had sort of written it off as not a valid dinosaur. But then this 2021 Sierra Ceratops paper includes it as a unique genus again. And they specifically called out the ridges on the skull, which the Fowlers had previously said were like reconstructed upside down and they're actually not unique. So I guess... There's a disagreement there. We'll have to see where this shakes out, whether or not Bravoceratops sticks around or if it gets synonymized or nomen dubiumed. Just like Sierra Ceratops, Bravoceratops also has horns that are laterally compressed, meaning taller than they are wide. So there is a lot of similarity there. And again, like I said, with Sierra Ceratops, if it ever gets combined with another dinosaur, it's probably going to be Bravoceratops. And if Bravoceratops is a nomen dubium, I guess that I don't I don't even know what that would do. Maybe Ceratops could get referred to Bravoceratops and that would prevent Bravoceratops from becoming a nomen dubium. Sounds complicated. Yeah, or Bravoceratops would just become a nomen dubium and Ceratops would stick around. Although it doesn't really matter because all of these dinosaurs and all of these fossils give us a bunch of information and help us to understand dinosaurs and the ecosystems better whether or not they get their own genus name. The genus name is fun for us dinosaur fans, but it isn't necessarily required for the science because a lot of times people will just talk about the ceratopsian from this formation or refer to it by specimen number and the getting its own genus name is more like a, a perk than it is a necessity to learn something from it. Up next, we got 69 million years ago, 
Eotriceratops from the Horseshoe Canyon Formation, also Alberta, Canada. And this one sometimes gets lumped with Triceratops. Eo means dawn, I believe. And so it basically means like the early Triceratops because Triceratops is usually thought to have started about a million years later. But obviously, if the main distinction is it's earlier, you could argue, well, Triceratops was just around earlier than we thought it was, and that's just a Triceratops. Next up, a million years later, we've got Regaliceratops at about 68 million years old from the St. Mary River Formation in Alberta, Canada, also known as Hellboy, although I prefer Regaliceratops because it has very distinctive round decorations of those epiosifications. Like a crown? Yeah, it is awesome looking and regal in that way because it has that crown. I remember we saw it at the Royal Tyrrell Museum. They have a little like fossils in focus exhibit with their new fossils for a while. And it's just a really cool looking ceratops. It's very unique with those big round. Usually the epiosifications are more triangular. And on this one, they're very rounded. So it's really cool looking. Also, 68 million years ago about, there's Ojo ceratops from the Ojo Alamo formation in New Mexico. And this one at some times has been considered a synonym of Triceratops, like we, I think I talked about when we were talking about Sierra Ceratops during the news segment. And then, last but not least, certainly not least, 66 to 68 million years ago, we've got Triceratops and or Taurosaurus. Depending who you ask. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're found in lots of formations, including the Hell Creek in Montana, probably the most famous of where it's found, but really, especially Triceratops is just all over the place. It's ubiquitous. It's got a large, not-so-ornamented frill. The main distinction from Taurosaurus, if you think they are separate, is that Taurosaurus has holes in its frill, thus the Toro part of the name, which means perforated. So it's like the perforated frill, perforated lizard, if you want to literally translate it. But the jury's still pretty much out on whether or not they get lumped or split at this point. I think most people still refer to them as separate genera like this paper did, but there's a not tiny minority that likes to combine them into Triceratops. The only one I was a little bit surprised not to see on the list is Netoceratops. Oh, yeah. Part of the Taurosaurus Triceratops debate. Yeah, exactly. It's only known from a single skull, and it is pretty Triceratops-like. It's from the Lance Formation in Wyoming, but I, I'm 99% sure that there are also Triceratops from the Lance Formation in Wyoming, which is probably why a lot of times it gets lumped with Triceratops. It's also about 67 million years old, which is firmly in the middle of when Triceratops was around. And yeah, so it overlaps a lot in time and place with Triceratops. It looks a lot like Triceratops, so must be a duck. <laughs> <laughs> looks like a duck, sounds like a duck. Yep. There are some really cool ones if you stretch back another 2 million years. If you do just the last 11 million years, you basically get all the chasmosaurines because they're a pretty late-forming group in the dinosaur family tree, including chasmosaurus, vagaceratops, cosmoceratops, utahceratops, and my personal favorite, spiclipius. Favorite to say. Yes. <laughs> all of the chasmosaurines in general are pretty cool-looking. I'm a big fan. But those ones I just listed seem to be less controversial. They have some pretty unique ornamentation, and the authors didn't include them probably because they're just a little bit too far away in time and or place from Sierra Ceratops. So there's a crazy amount of Ceratopsid diversity in a relatively brief period of time and just within Laramidia, which is really strange because Laramidia wasn't that big and there weren't any huge 
barriers to their movement. So it seems like they should have been mixing more and maybe not having so many different species all over the place. But for some reason, there seems to be a pretty high degree of quote unquote endemism, as they call it, but you can just think of it as like local species restricted to specific areas. So something interesting was going on with Ceratopsians in the in the late Cretaceous. Something that was helping them. Or hurting them. <laughs> oh. We don't really know what it was. Thinking in terms of being able to diversify. But I mean, as a species, you'd like to spread out as much as possible. I see. Need more fossils. It's a nice go-to answer. And that wraps up this episode of Vino Dino. Thank you so much for listening. We will be making our bonus content for the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology for this year very soon. So it's not too late if you want to join our Patreon and get access to that bonus content. That's at patreon.com slash inodino. Thanks again, and until next time. Good